ESPN Pinellas Park. Online at letstalkfaith.com, a service of the Salem Media Group. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Listen, the Lord Jesus certainly loves us, but he also hates sin. He will not tolerate sin in his church, and that's the message here. You may be able to fool others around you. Churches sometimes give off a good appearance when internally things are not good. But the Lord sees it all, and He will not tolerate any sin. This is Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We have been studying the letters to the seven churches in the New Testament book of Revelation. Today's class will be The Church at Thyatira, Part 1. Have your Bible open to Revelation chapter 2, where Pastor Steve will begin our class. At the end of the study, I will tell you how to obtain a copy of this and tomorrow's class on one CD. Now, here is Pastor Steve. Let's open our Bibles once again to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2. And I want to read to you verses 18 through 29. Here's what Jesus said. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds, and your love, and faith, and service, and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he shall rule them. With a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who is near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. About 40 miles southeast of the city of Pergamum was the ancient city of Thyatira. Today, there's a village in that location of about 25,000 people. It occupies the spot where Thyatira used to be. Now, usually when we say that, we're about to say, but back then, it was a major city. It was a huge city and a significant city, but that's not true. That's not true. In the first century, Thyatira was a rather insignificant city, especially in comparison with the other six cities where Jesus sent letters the book of Revelation, Thyatira was the smallest, least known, and the least important of all of those cities. In fact, its major and primary importance in those days was that if an army was approaching the city of Pergamum, 
the people of Thyatira were to get up and fight that army until Pergamum could prepare to meet the invaders. So it was basically an outpost to delay attacks on the city of Pergamum. So Thyatira had no special religious significance. It was uh, missing a great harbor. There was no harbor. And it wasn't a a particularly large city. But while Thyatira as a city was insignificant, there was a church there that was very significant. And this letter is not written to the city. It's written to the church that was in the city. And just so you'll know, some of the unique things about this letter, it is the longest of all of the letters written to those seven churches in Asia Minor. It is the most severe of all of those letters. It is the only letter to specifically state that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Lord states that in verse 18. In fact, this is the only time, interestingly enough, in the entire book of Revelation that Christ's title as the Son of God is used. So while the city of Thyatira was relatively insignificant, the church in the city had a significant enough problem for the Lord to give it a message of severe warning and judgment. And because each of these churches are really representative of churches in all different ages and believers down through the centuries, this message is for us. It affects us. Now, you see, there's a little bit, a little bit of every church in all of us. For example, we studied about Ephesus, and most of us are convicted because Ephesus was a church that had left its first love. Doctrinally sound, but a bit loveless. We can relate to that. I can relate to that. Smyrna, a suffering church, but a pure church. Pergamum, doctrinally loyal, but a compromising church church. We can all relate to these things, but we want to look at the church at Thyatira and see what resemblance we might have to them. Now, there are six truths that Jesus spells out about this church. Number one, we begin with the correspondence or the author to the church. Starts in verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. Now, once again, the author of this letter is Jesus himself, and it is addressed to the messenger, or he says the angel of the church, probably, as we've said all along, probably the primary teaching elder. As in each letter, our Lord draws upon the picture of him, the vision of him in chapter 1, in order to identify uniquely himself to each church. So he draws upon the vision, and he says, this is something about me that is significant. Notice how he describes himself. First of all, he describes himself as the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. His feet are like burnished bronze. Now, he begins by telling them that he is the son of God. Why does he say that? He's pictured in chapter 1 as really the son of man, a human being, divine though, in the midst of his churches. But here he wants them to know that he's, he's God. When he says he's the son of God, he means he's God the son. And why does he say that? Because he needs to assert his authority with this church in a way that he did not have to 
in any other church. As we go through this, you'll see that a major problem with the church at Thyatira was idolatry. Idolatry, uh, loving and worshiping other deities. So right up front, he says he is the authority. He is God the Son. Secondly, he says that his eyes are like a flame of fire. means that the eyes of the Son of God are able to see through everything. Nothing escapes his attention, not even sin. Superman, as you know, had x-ray vision. But this is more than the ability to to see. This is the, the piercing and penetrating glance of Jesus Christ with righteous wrath. He sees through all the rationalizations of sin, all of the justifications that we might have, all the excuses that would throw off conviction, try to throw off convictions, his eyes penetrate like an all-consuming fire, and he can see through the, the flaws of any church and any individual. And so he wants them to understand that. He is God, and therefore he sees everything. And because he sees sin in the church at Thyatira, notice he describes his feet as being like burnished bronze. That is to say that he's ready to come to this church and to trample her sins underfoot in judgment. That's the imagery here. Feet like burnished bronze. In other words, he's going to crush sin under his feet. So the picture that Jesus wants this church to get of him is that he is the true God not an idol. He is the true God who sees everything going on in Thyatira, and he's coming to them to crush their sin in divine judgment. Listen, the Lord Jesus certainly loves us, but he also hates sin. He will not tolerate sin in his church, and that's the message here. You may be able to fool others around you, churches sometimes give off a good appearance when internally things are not good. But the Lord sees it all, and he will not tolerate any sin. It may look that way, that he lets people get away with things, but only until he decides this is the right time to deal with them. And so what he's telling Thyatira is that he is about to deal with their sin very shortly. So what was going on in this church that was was so bad? Well, we move from the correspondence of the letter, which is Christ himself, to the commendation of the church. He begins to evaluate this church, and the first thing he does is he commends it. What was the condition of this church? Well, look at verse 19. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Now, it's interesting that there was much to commend this church for. They really had a lot of great things going on there. They, the Lord speaks of six outstanding virtues in this church. Number one, he speaks of their deeds. When he says, I know your deeds, they were a laboring church. This was a church filled with good deeds, which means they were filled with good works. Secondly, he speaks of their love. I know your love. This is the only church that, that Jesus says that, that they have love. Even Ephesus did not have love and was not commended for love. But this church had love, and the Lord compliments them and commends them. He also says, I know your faith. They trusted in the Lord through even difficult times. I know your service. They were a ministering church. This word for service, we get our word deacon, deaconess from 
this word. They were a church filled with dedicated servants. He said, I know your perseverance, steadfast endurance, loyalty, commitment to Christ. And then notice he adds, the deeds of late are greater than at first. That is to say, this, there was growth. There was progress here. They were increasing in their, their service and their labors for Christ. They were not stagnant at all. So this is a church that had what Ephesus lacked, love. This was a church that practiced the perseverance of Smyrna, who suffered. This was a church that exercised the faith of Pergamum. Now, I read that, and I am comforted by this. And I want to tell you what I think is a great, great comfort that comes out of this. It is comforting to know that the omniscient eyes of Jesus Christ see the good as well as the bad. Have you ever thought about that? There are many, many of us who tend to see only negative things. If you've ever been around a person like that, they're like Eeyore. They just see only what's bad. But you know what? Many of us are, are like that, and we fail to observe the good and positive things going on, especially in a church. Many people just criticize a church, but, but not the Lord himself. Notice, he sees the good as well as the bad. Now, he's going to, in a moment, condemn the church for something, but he's not oblivious to the good things that are going on. That's a good lesson for us. At the church at Thyatira, he saw the church, and he saw that they had a lot of good activity that was born out of love. So I think that's a wonderful truth about our Lord. Now, on the surface, then, this church looked good, looked strong, looked flourishing. If we visited this church on a Sunday, we probably would be very impressed with the assortment of activities, the love the people had for one another, for the Lord, for, for visitors. It, it, its spirit was a spirit of ministry to others. It was steadfast, just a lot of good things. But the way that things appear on the surface are not always the way they really are. So we need the omniscient eyes of Christ to tell us what's really going on there. And so in verse 20, he begins to condemn the church. The correspondent is Christ. He commends the church for six virtues. Now he condemns the church. Verse 20, but I have this against you. Let's stop for a moment. You've got a lot of good things going on, but I see something that is totally out of order but I have this against you. You've got six wonderful qualities, but here I see something against you. What does he see against them? He said, you tolerate the woman Jezebel. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, who is this woman Jezebel? Well, most likely, Jezebel was not her real name, so we don't know her real name. And I say that because who in their right mind would ever name a daughter Jezebel? It's like naming a son Judas. I'm sure somebody would, but it's just not done. So most likely, Jezebel was not her, her real name. What her real name was, we're not told. But the name Christ gave her was Jezebel because he saw qualities in this woman that were very similar to the qualities of Jezebel 
in the Old Testament. In other words, she parallels the Old Testament Jezebel. So, so who was this Old Testament character called Jezebel? Let's keep our place in Revelation. Turn back all the way to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 16. Jezebel was a wicked, wicked woman. She lived at the time that the prophet Elijah ministered in Israel. As you'll recall, it was Elijah who ran for his life out of fear of Jezebel. But we're introduced to her, chapter 16, starting at verse 29. Now, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. Remember now, at this time in history, you have two kingdoms. You have the kingdom of Israel in the north. You have the kingdom of Judah, made up of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin in the south. So, Ahab is the king of Israel in the north. In the south, it was Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria, 22 years. Samaria was the capital. Of course, Jerusalem would have been still the capital of the southern kingdom. And notice verse 30. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Listen, there was not one good king in the line of the northern kings of Israel, but this man was worse than all those who came before him. That's what, that's what we're reading. Ahab was the worst of all the kings. What did he do? What did he do that was, that was worse and gave him this label of being the worst of all the evil kings? Well, verse 31 tells us, It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. Scripture is telling us that what made this man so wicked is that he married a pagan woman. And not just any pagan woman but a pagan woman by the name of Jezebel who was a worshiper of the false god Baal. I mean, at least the other kings married Jewish girls, but not not Ahab. He married a wicked Baal worshiper. And along with Jezebel coming to Israel, she also brought to Israel her pagan religion as well. Notice verse 32. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab may have done this, he did do this, but it was Jezebel who was the power behind the throne. So now we read that open idolatry is taking place in Israel under the sponsorship of the king. Why? Because his wife ruled him. His wife dominated him. Jezebel was really, as I said, the power behind the throne of Israel. Her goal was to turn Israel to her God, Baal. If you look at chapter, two chapters over, chapter 18, verse 4, you'll read this. For when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, she had, she had the prophets of the Lord killed. She thought she killed all of them, but we read that a man named Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. This ties into Elijah saying, Lord, I'm, I'm the only, I'm the only one who is living to serve you and loves you. And 
God answers him, you really don't know, but I have others just like you. Well, that's all part of it. Obadiah has preserved and saved a hundred of the prophets, but she tried to eliminate all of the prophets in Israel. So she was ruthless. She is a cold-blooded murderer, and she supported hundreds of pagan prophets. We know that from the story of, of Elijah, who confronts the false prophets of Baal. There were hundreds of them. She supported them. These men, I might add, these, these priests or prophets of Baal were wicked men. They were wicked sex perverts that went along with Baal worship. She is so wicked that she puts the fear of death into Elijah, running, because he thinks this woman is going to kill him. So now that you know just a little bit about the Old Testament Jezebel, you'll be able to better understand about her New Testament equivalent at Thyatira. Notice, let's go back to Revelation chapter 2, and let's read the verse again, verse 20, what God says about her. But I have this against you, that you tolerate this woman, Jezebel, and notice, here's her problem. She calls herself a prophetess. She teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and they eat things sacrificed to idols. She was a self-proclaimed prophetess. She claimed new revelation from God. That's what she's doing. And in, in her teaching, she is leading believers astray into immorality and idolatry. The very thing that Jezebel did in the Old Testament, this Jezebel now is doing in the church at Thyatira in New Testament times. She brought in idolatry and sexual sin. She led and taught the church that fornication and pagan idolatry were acceptable. Now, you may say, well, how could she possibly have done that? We're not told the the details of how she did that, but it might have had something to do with the business situation in Thyatira. Let me explain. Thyatira was a commercial city. It was noted for its trade guilds, or what we would call labor unions. If you'll recall from Acts chapter 16, a woman by the name of Lydia, who came to faith in Christ, as Paul shared the gospel with her, Lydia was from the city of Thyatira, and she was actually a seller of purple fabrics. So she's, she's a part of the, the trades and the labor stuff going on in Thyatira. Well, each guild had its own patron deity. They had feasts, and they had uh, seasonal festivals that included sexual orgies. The people would congregate to decide on basic wage scales and other labor issues, but they also had these social groups involved in idolatry and sexual perversions. And so if a Christian did not want to be a part of one of these trade guilds, then it would obviously mean some severe economic hardship. That may very well be the background by which Jezebel, this woman Jezebel, takes advantage of the situation. And, and perhaps she said something like this, you know, you've, you've got to live. God told me this, because she said she's a prophetess. God told me it's all right for you to be involved in this, because if you don't, 
You're not going to have any money. And if you don't have any money, you're going to die. And God doesn't want you dead. He wants you to be a living witness to these people. So it's all right. It's okay to be involved in these sexual perversions and idolatry. Just go ahead. God understands. And he told me to tell you he understands. So go ahead. Now, I don't know if it was exactly like that. But it makes a lot of sense that she may very well have used the trade guilds to give this false prophecy. There are many false prophets and prophetesses in the world today. We need God's wisdom from His Word to not get sucked into their doctrines. If you would like to listen again to this study, go to our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen to it there or download it to listen later and share with a friend. If you would like a CD of the entire message, you may order one by calling Verse by Verse at 727-239-0306 during business office hours. That website again is versebyverseradio.org and the phone number is 727-239-0306. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside Community.